I got to spend, as I say, as I told you earlier, and I really consider that I spent it on your behalf. That uh, the times, and I made three trips, two to McGoffin County, Kentucky, uh, for three days to visit uh, the staff there, and then one day to the porch when all of the staffs from across, um, from across all of uh, Appalachia came back together. These young adults in college uh, doing this amazing work um, tirelessly. But lest you believe that everything is all roses and sweet-smelling reality, there are lots of challenges they face every single day, not unlike you and I, uh, but in some ways unlike you and I. Uh, they live on a shoestring budget, and that budget has got to do as much work as is possible on a number of houses, some of which um, many of us would pass by and think were unrehabable. And yet they found ways over the years. It was interesting to talk, listen, uh, their COO visited, uh, Melissa visited uh, uh, the porch and, and talked to them about the work that they were doing. And, um, she talked about how far they had come since ASP began uh, more than 50 years ago. There was a time when a way to keep a house warmer was to wallpaper the inside. The best they could do was wallpaper the inside of the house so that air didn't blow in. Uh, now they do warm house wraps on the outside. They've kept developing their technology and work to make this difference in, uh, in the places that they go. But in talking about all that they do and, and how hard it is and how to make that fit within a, a budget, you look at some of the houses that you and I might pass by and imagine we would never live in and realize that people live there. They may not have running water and they may not have indoor plumbing of any kind, and yet families live there here in our country, in the Appalachia region. And so... A group like Appalachia Service Project, and they have other partners that do similar work in uh, or different kinds of work there, do their best to make the most out of what for many people would be a hopeless situation. If you can imagine sitting in a, in a, in a room that is very leaky in terms of air and water above you and trying to just be warm in the mountains, now, let me tell you, we have a cabin in, the West, in West Virginia. It's only at about 2,800 feet altitude. But in the wintertime, it's very cold, and the wind blows very hard. And so sometimes Linda and I, when we go there, find ourselves, despite the size of the house, sitting mostly right at the wood stove. Where is the warmest spot in our house? And, and yet these college students vie for these positions vie for these positions, and they're all phenomenal candidates, but they have to turn away lots of them. They only select the very top candidates to do this kind of work, and they spend their summer practicing hope in the face of hopelessness. And sometimes ASP builds a new house for people. That's one of the new kinds of things that have come for them over the last four years or so, four or five years. But mostly they take houses 
that you and I might not want to live in and find a way to make the best of it, to make it warmer, safer, and drier for people so they can live there. Maybe not forever, but in the short term. And it's interesting to think about the hope that must dwell in the hearts of these young people in the midst of seeing uh, not always uh, the best side of every person that they encounter. Well, it's an interesting story that I came across. I didn't come across. It was my plan to preach this text this week. Imagine, if you would, the text I'll be preaching from is in Jeremiah 32. I'll be reading it to you in just a second. But imagine that your city's under siege and most of your country has already fallen. That's the situation for Jeremiah. And an opportunity arises for him to buy a piece of land that in most like, likelihood in the next six to nine months won't be in friendly territory anymore. It will be someone else's land in a whole other country, in this case, Babylon. And it's interesting to see what this story uh, brings up for us. I want to read to you from Jeremiah chapter 32. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalem, is going to come to you and say, buy my field that is in Anatot, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, buy my field that is in Anatot, in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field in Anatot from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed for purchase, and in the presence of the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence I charged Baruch, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be bought again in this land. This is a word for the, from the Lord for this morning. Thanks be to God. You know, if you ask me, it's a pretty stupid story. Um, imagine a, a piece of land, for instance, that's about to go underwater, and you, and you buy it because you have the right to, even though 15 minutes, 15 months, 15 weeks, soon it'll be underwater. Your purchase will be empty unless you're going to 
you know, build an underwater, you know, habitat. It's gone. It's empty. And yet, as a sign, as a sign of what the future may hold, Jeremiah does what I want to call practicing hope. Israel's about to lose the war. They're about to be deported. And in the face of that, Jeremiah buys a piece of land because it's his right to buy the piece of land. Try to keep it in the tribe, in the family. And so the right of purchase before you would sell it to anybody outside the tribe would be another member of the tribe. And so his cousin comes to him and offers him this. Now, anyone in their right mind, at least from my perspective, common sense every day would say, thanks, but no thanks. We're about to lose that land. Why would I want to buy it from you? And yet Jeremiah does it to say out loud, no matter what you think about me as a prophet, God is going to watch over us. God is going to be present with us even, even in our exile. And a time will come in the future when we will buy land again here. So sure, I'll buy that. I may not live to see that day, but I'll buy that. Now, it's interesting over the years of going on ASP, I've talked to, uh, uh, one day, we were on a site, and we had fallen behind, and it was the last week. Uh, it was the last week on that site, and so they sent out another group of volunteers, and two of those volunteers who were gonna help us with the siding project that we were doing were contractors. And uh, one of them, you know, you have these conversations and you, you're like, I sure hope the homeowner doesn't hear these kinds of things being said, but you know, this contractor walks over to me and he says, you know, this is really a Band-Aid. I don't know how much longer this life, this will maybe buy another 10 years in this house. Now, as it happens, the homeowner that lived in that house was about 83 years old. And it also happened that because the house, before we started to fix it and before it had been being worked on for seven weeks, before then, it was almost uninhabitable and her son had told her, he wasn't going to let her live there anymore. He was going to take her away from the place that she had lived with his father all the years of their marriage. That she was going to have to come and either live with him or live in a home. And so this contractor, you know, I mean, he was, a, he was there as a volunteer, but he did contracting. He said, you know, this is maybe a 10-year Band-Aid. But for that woman, it represented hope. All the years of memories wrapped in that house, raising that boy who now lives somewhere else. That was a practice in hope. No, nothing lasts forever. Let's be honest. Any one of our houses we disappear for just a couple of years. If human beings, have you ever seen one of those fast-forward kinds of projections into the future? What would happen to New York City? How long it would take for the wild to reclaim it? 
After one month, if people just disappeared from the face of the earth, what would it look like? One month from now, one year from now, one decade from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. You know, the first thing that would happen in New York City is the subways would fill up with water because they pump something in the neighborhood of 100 million gallons of water out of it every year because it's, it's below sea level. And it's built near a big spring. So water bubbles up in there, and they have to pump that out just so the subway can go through. How fast it would be reclaimed. Nothing is permanent. Our hope can't be in our homes. It can't even be in our retirement accounts. Hope has got to be something bigger. So how do I practice hope? Why would you fix a house that in 10 years might not be there? We'll have to be fixed again for sure in 10 years because that's 10 years more than you had before. Because a little lady who would like to spend some more time in that space and is well enough to stay in that space is just not safe, warm, and dry. And that's just one story. I was sitting with, I call them my staff. They're not my staff, they were, but they were the McGoffin County staff and I was responsible for their spiritual care, essentially loving them. And you know, that's pretty easy. They were a very lovable group. Uh, I was sitting with them one morning right after they had gotten a text that one of their homeowners had had a baby, was, had gone to the hospital to have the baby. And they were the first ones to get the text. The homeowners shared this information, and then as soon as the baby was born, texted a picture of the baby to the McGoffin County staff. One of the proudest moments when I got to the porch, Tyler walks up, this young man that's on the McGoffin County staff. He opens his wallet. I'm, I'm wondering, what is he going to do? Is he going to give me some? He pulls out a baby picture. You know one of those hospital baby pictures the family had given him? Do you, know, do you know what that represented? Well, to me, it said hope. That wasn't the baby's name. But it said to me hope. Hope. Sometimes in the face of the hopelessness of this world, in what seems like an intractable time in which we live, where people on one side and people on the other side can't even listen to each other without screaming and shouting, and sometimes resorting to violence. We wonder, what can we do? And I say to you, sisters and brothers, practice hope. There is, it, it may appear we're losing the battle. Can we be honest with each other? There are moments when I wonder whatever happened to decorum. Maybe we were a little too polite sometimes. Never called out the injustices of the world in which we live. Maybe it needed some stirring up. I don't know. But you and I have the opportunity every day to practice hope. For some people, just getting out of bed in the morning is a practice of hope. Their struggle with mental illness, with depression, it's all they can do to get up. That sense of isolation that overcame many of us during the pandemic. People who were trapped in their houses and felt trapped. You know, you could almost see them peeking out the window with their eyes wide. <laughs> Where are those germs? Where's that virus out there? 
those people who felt trapped in isolation, it, it was a practice and hope to get up, to get out of bed, to find something to do in that isolation, to turn on yet another Zoom meeting if that was your life, to learn to order from Instacart, I, I, whatever it may be, all those are practices of hope from the simplest to the largest. You don't have to build a new house for every homeless person, but maybe there is something you can do to offer hope to the person you meet. And that is how we practice hope. It isn't always becoming an ASP staffer and giving your summer away. Your, your, I can only imagine the four that I know and then the others I met on the front porch at least one said to me, yeah, I'm spending the next week when I get home sleeping. Because for a summer, they work until long after the volunteers who are working with them go to bed and get up first thing in the morning to make runs to the local hardware store to pick up the equipment that's whatever wasn't in their storage room for the next day's work. Yeah. I'd sleep longer than a week if I was you. It's hard to offer hope. You could see the lines on their faces and the sleepy eyes because they had offered hope. And let me tell you what, when you practice hope, it costs something. It costs something. For Jeremiah, it was money he didn't need because he was getting ready to be deported. <laughs> you know, Little side fact, just so you know. It doesn't really, uh, it, it won't really play into this. This is the most elaborate information we have about a transaction in the entire Bible, about the buying and selling of anything. Chapter 32 of Jeremiah, just a little small piece of cocktail conversation. Next time you're at a party, you need a little uh, side piece of information. Did you know chapter 32, Jeremiah? They didn't even have coins that they could count out like one, two, three. They waited out on the scale. Did you notice that? Just a side piece of information for your later perusal. Hope costs you something. Hope costs you something. It costs you stepping out of your comfort zone sometimes. It costs seeing the other person as somebody worth investing in, engaging with. It calls for you to see yourself as worth investing in, engaging with, to get out of bed in the morning when things seem to overwhelm you. It's no surprise, of course, though, that this book of Jeremiah reminds us not once but twice that this is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. It is God from whom we draw hope. It is the God of promise who walks with us in our darkest moments. One of my most favorite teacher is, uh, is often reminds us, in fact, I, I think if Jim said it once, he must have said it 50 times in the times I sat and listened to him. God protects us from nothing, but sustains us in everything.
God carries us when we can't carry ourselves. God loves us even when we don't love ourselves. And if we're really honest with each other, there are moments like that for all of us. Some of the ways that we act worse towards other people is because we don't like ourselves. So why should we like them? <laughs> Just a projection of ourselves. <laughs> and the worst thing in them is probably the worst thing in us. So it's easy to pick at it like a scab. Practicing hope is hard. It's hard work. For ASP staffers, it's a summer. Sure, they get a paycheck at the end. Actually, they get it intermittently during the summer. But they pour out blood, sweat, and tears to offer hope to people they don't even know when they start, but who become to them like members of the family. What would you do for members of your family? I guess it depends on your family. But many of us would say just about anything, depending. But for somebody you don't know, but somebody who becomes a member of the family. Because if we really listen closely to the biblical message from beginning to end, we're all part of the same family. God sees in each one of us beauty and infinite preciousness and loves us unconditionally. There'll not, never be a person you meet that isn't like that. So how will you practice hope this week? Heck, not this week, just today. How will you practice hope this afternoon? How will you, if you're going out for brunch after this, you know, if you say, yeah, I'm not gonna worry about that Delta variant, I'm going out, whatever, um, we are. Uh, and we're gonna be very safe though, we're gonna be very safe. But the way you speak to the waiter can offer hope The choices you make about how you'll spend your money, about how you'll spend your time, because it's a limited resource. You get to choose. You can either practice hope or practice something other than hope. How will you speak to the person that you encounter next? You get an opportunity every moment to practice hope. Sometimes it's as simple as getting out of bed. And sometimes it's as big as wrapping somebody's house up so that for maybe 10 years, maybe 15, maybe less, it'll be warmer, safer, and drier. Maybe it's holding a hand. Or maybe in today's COVID world, it's sitting near someone who needs some hope sharing that. You get to practice hope. Sometimes it looks hopeless, and yet life continues to happen. It pops up in the, in the cracks of our pavement. And for all of our best efforts to kill it where we don't want it and to grow it somewhere else, it grows where it wants to. Hope will grow up in your life if you just give it a little space.